0: Hey guys, Ian here with another episode of Unleashed and Unhinged, the podcast where we talk about all things dog. Dog training, dog behavior, dog health, literally anything you can think about when it comes to dogs, we'll talk about on here. We hope you enjoy the episode. everyone, and welcome to Unleashed and Unhinged, another episode. I'm your host, Ian Shivers, and today we have Matt Beisner, founder of Zendog, all the way from Texas. Welcome, Matt. How are you, mate?
1: I'm great, thank you. I'm really glad to be here. And I was—I just had a flashback when you said uh, Unleashed and Unhinged. I thought, well, that sums up most of my younger life. So, <laughs> so <laughs> There's a reason I called the podcast
0: that it's absolutely a bit of a reference point,
1: yeah. <laughs> Leslie McDevitt says it like you know there's something profound in it when I say it, it's like there's an arrest record in it, you know <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep i um I feel like I'm a lot more stable in my than I used to be, but there's still moments
1: <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for being here. Um, oh, it's great! It's great. I I sure hope I get to meet you and the folks in person someday. You know, Australia is on my list, and got to make my I've got to make my way around. So I'm glad to be here. All right, mate! Well, as soon as you are, we're going for a beer. And
0: when I'm in the states, I'll be traveling down to Texas too.
1: Yeah, I don't drink anymore, and you're going to be glad for that. But I will go. <laughs> That's will sit with you and have a great meal <laughs> yeah, i love that that's great i mean
0: maybe my maybe my wife would be much happier if i didn't either so uh, <laughs> um tell tell us uh for the audience um tell us a little bit about
1: yourself mate and uh yeah what you get up to these days in the dog world yeah so um I think starting with things that are particularly important, uh, I, my wife and I just celebrated our 10 year wedding anniversary, which was not on my to-do list as a, as a, a younger, either a younger man or a man who is considered an adult, but still being quite young. I have a, a son that's six and a half. I have a daughter that's three and a half and I have a radical shift, uh, I, I, Uh, an amazing opportunity and a consequently radical shift about two and a half years ago, I was living in California at the time. And we had a, a facility out there, which we lovingly called the Zen yard. And it was in Los Angeles. And my special, my special interest and specialty has been aggression for quite some time. And so in LA, as in a lot of cities, you can imagine it's underserved for dogs that have that kind of emotional experience and that kind of behavior. And we just were quite busy. We were quite busy for many years and I found myself working. It wasn't unusual to work 80 to a hundred hours in a week. And then the quarantine happened and there was about a week there where my dogs for the first time in years fought. I would say I probably lost my mind for a few days because there was so much invested in not slowing down, you know, and success can mask a lot of things.
2: Yeah.
1: And then all of a sudden it occurred to me, I'm not doing breakfast with my son. I'm not doing dinner or bedtime. I'm not having quality time with my wife. So this pivot, I, there's no way that I could have stopped the train that was our company. And then all of a sudden we weren't there. We weren't allowed to be there. And my wife and I and the kids took a family vacation to Texas and we were about, we, had, we have family throughout Texas, we were about three days into the trip, and I turned to her and I said, I think we should live here. And she said, oh, I knew that on the first day. I said, okay, so let's make a 90-day exit plan. By the 91st day, literally, we had arrived in Texas to live. So the reason why I'm teeing all of that up is that my quality of life has changed in, at, a, at a rate that I could not have done of my own volition, at a level of quality that I couldn't have imagined. And I think that's probably as as good a jumping off point as any. I'm a certified professional dog trainer. I'm a licensed family dog mediator in Kim Brophy's work. And I I have hosted a show called Dog Impossible on Disney Plus, which is depending on where one is in the country, it's in its second season. And I have just, I have the, the the rare and extreme privileged opportunity to be somebody who has survived cancel culture well, survive drug and alcohol addiction, survive cancel culture, survive jail, um, and actually landed in a place where a great part of my value, I think, in the, in the dog training community and also in the public is to be somebody who grows publicly. And because um, that's not really how social media usually works. You know, it's all polishing a turd. But if you get somebody that can actually talk to you about their real experience and how they changed, Hang on to those people like I did, because that's what I think is important right now. So that's how I arrived at this conversation.
2: I mean, from afar from a
0: and physically from afar, watching your journey you go through that council culture, after there, and come through the other side, watching just the way that you talk. You know, we're in the same sort of, we run in the same circles on. In our industry, and just watching the way you talk about um, a few things is what I one of the re- well. It's the reason. These are the reasons why I wanted you to come on today, and get the opportunity to talk to you because you talk so well about connection uh, with your family and with the dogs, and that that seems to be an underlying theme with pretty much everything you do. It's it, from from where I can see is is a, is a real uh, value placed on the connection between individuals that, are that are really meaningful to you. And that's something that I, I love. Um, I mean, I love watching it from afar. I love learning from it and it resonates highly with me. You
1: know, I appreciate that very much. That feedback's important, especially because I've got a, a level of respect for you. So, get, you know, I, that holds a certain value to me to hear that from you. And, and you know, that, that, is really a testament to the people that brought me up. I don't mean just from childhood, but I mean I mean from being an adult who was childish, you know. And um I was talking with a with a dear friend of mine this morning. He and I check in weekly and he's suffering. He's in a really difficult situation. He's a dog guardian and dog parent. And and he was really suffering. And he was saying, you know, he's in a highly visible p- position in his field. And he said, we think that that humility and reliance on others is a weakness. And actually, the opposite is true. It's where our greatest strength comes from. And I would say, I know for me firsthand that that has not only saved my life, but but it is what allowed for me to have the opportunity to change the way I have and to change the way that I've been able to. So the reflection matters in part because... It is a reflection to me of of those who have taught me and supported me professionally and personally for that to come across and for it to come across sincerely, because I it's not I'm, it's not going to work for me the other way. No, the world does not need righteous, arrogant Matt Beisner. Nobody wakes up and says, you know what we need? We need another asshole today. I'm <laughs> so aware of. Yeah. And if I mean, if
0: that has been said, then I'm prone to disagree.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say no. I'm going to vote no on that. Yeah. yeah, And it's such an e- frankly, it's an easier place. It was a hard road to get here, but it's a, it's an it's an infinitely easier place to live.
0: Yeah. The so the humility and weakness, uh, humility as weakness thing. That mm-hmm. I mean, for me. I know that in this journey, in my career, you know, I set out like many of us in the industry, you know, we are where I wanted to, I thought I knew a lot and I went off and I practiced and I remember, I genuinely remember the first time I sat down with, uh, a very experienced, um, veterinary behaviorist and she was asking me these questions and She didn't really hold back. Um, We were we were having a coffee, and she put me on the spot a few times. And I remember answering so confidently in that moment, uh, thinking, "Yeah, I'm king shit. I've got this." And you know, this this lady, she sat there politely the whole time, and I can guarantee she walked away from that conversation going, "Man, he's a dickhead." Um, But she also showed me a lot of patience and. We're still friends today. She's moved to the UK and we're still in contact. And I learned so much from her. But I remember thinking how angry I was so angry at that point that somebody thought they knew more than me. But then having to come to the realization that I I didn't like admitting I was wrong, but I had to. Um, or at least admit that I didn't know everything and that somebody else's opinion was right. But it was a real turning point for me because it didn't just, her patience was a turning point for me because she afforded me the space to be able to learn without judgment,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, And it was a really cool opportunity for me. And she was just one of these pivotal people. I should probably tell her one day (laughs) because now that I'm saying it out loud and I've, and I've actually said this a few times, so I definitely need to ring Julie and tell her, but it's the same, that humility and is weakness thing. I think sometimes we put that on our dogs as well. You know, we want our dogs to look macho and we want our dogs to have this ego
1: and it can be so damaging. Yeah, you know, there, there's a question. I, I can cut to it here in this conversation, and for the listeners, I, 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 you know, parallel to how I've come to work with dogs and trying to meet the dog where it's at and explore what consent looks like, the emotional well being of the animal, and you know what what uh, rewarding when a dog says no, you know, things that really begin to build trust in the relationship. So, I. I I'm going to I'm just saying to those who are listening that I'm I'm teeing up what I'm about to say by saying I would typically wait weeks, if not months, to actually get to what I'm about to say now. And that is the question that really needs to be asked. That is probably the least comfortable question to answer is why did you really get a dog? And yeah. and there's a three part journey to that question. And if I sound searing, it's not intended to be judgmental. It's intended to offer the opportunity for insight. So I'm not a model. People ask me a lot, you know, what do you think? Should I get this dog? How many dogs should I have? Up until two years ago, we had eight dogs with, with high risk behavior. So I'm not a model for that. Um, I can share my experience. What I can tell you in the reflection that I've, that I've utilized in the last couple of years is that one of the advantages to having eight dogs, just like one of the advantages to running a facility and working 80 to 100 hours a week is I actually don't have to engage in intimate relationships yep. with my dogs, with myself, with the people around me. I'm busy, don't you know?
0: Find a way to be distracted.
1: Right. And, it, and it's really easy to get distracted when you're working with behaviors. So. So the question that I found myself landing on that I put to people all, you know, at some point if I'm invited to do so is, why did you really get that dog? So that's the first part of the three parts. And then the second part is the reckoning. And I don't go through this kind of process my, you know, alone. This is support I've gotten along the way. And I've actually turned it into a mentorship. Mentorship's not the right word. I've turned it into a learning program called LEAP, which is something that we launched uh, just, just several months ago. LEAP stands for lifting every animal person. And it's, uh, it's available to the general public. In fact, we've got, we started an extra round of courses, um, first week of June. General public, people around the world, dog pros. And the basis of this is this three-step of, first, let's ask the question. And, and if, we, if we have some, some sense of honesty around it, well, actually, because I feel lonely. Okay. ton of us can relate to that. I certainly can. Okay. And then comes the second part of the journey, which is the reckoning. Oh my God, what have I done? What have I put on my dog? Yeah. Right. That's where most people quit or they don't want to get there because that is not an easy place to be. And we don't typically allow for people to have those kinds of thoughts, feelings, revelations, or or even know how to support those people. That's typically when we want to hit dislike and move on with our cheery ass self, you know? But the third part, is the reconciliation and if i can if i'm willing to have the reveal and the and the reckoning the reconciliation then what i learn is oh wow now that i know this i can make a fundamental difference in this relationship don't like knowing it didn't like learning it but i sure am glad i know it because i can actually change things in a way i couldn't change them before and what you and I know and what I would hope for anybody that that gets to work with you or or that I get come in contact with is, man, is it going to make you and your dog's life easier? We don't we don't have to get into fights about anything, but would you like your life with your dog to be easier? It's a pretty simple question. You know,
0: no, nobody's calling the dog trainer because it's going well. Yeah. You know, I've been saying this one for years. So apologies, you know, to anybody that's heard me say this, but like nobody's ever called our company and gone, I've got a great dub man.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <You're just laughs> hung up. Yeah. They're just, they're
0: just they're struggling, you know. They're struggling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so you know, getting to that question, like I said, you, one has to get invited to it, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of people are struggling. And we're not really, you know, this is, we're not talking about how to talk about the thing we're not talking about, which is how hard the last three years have been for people.
0: Well, the question of, you know, why did you genuinely get a dog is often a hard one to answer, honestly. Yeah. Because dogs bring joy. The idea of having a dog in your life for I would say the vast majority of people that get them is to bring joy. But we often don't always think about, oh, I'm going to bring joy in my life when things are already, when my life is already full of joy. It normally comes when we're in deficit and that dog is yes, to bring joy, but also to cover pain and to help with pain. It's so funny Um I had to catch myself just just the other day. So uh, I have I, I've historically been quite pragmatic with
1: when it comes to bringing dogs into my life. You're, you're the only person I know. Well, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> easily the only dog pro I know that actually has been emotionally sober in his dog decision making. Well, this was. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty. I'm, it's, it was something that
0: historically I've been quite proud of. And then all of a sudden, um, so me, 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 and, me and my wife are expecting right now. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Our, our firstborn. And oh, I, I do a lot of work uh, with, these, with different rescue organizations. Um, and I'm there every week at the minute. And for whatever, and I, and I have been for a long time. But in the last few weeks, I've been, got, I've been looking at the dogs and thinking, oh, man, I'd, I'd take this one home in a heartbeat. And I do that anyway, but not seriously. I will always, my pragmatic brain will kick in and go, no, you've got a 15-year-old dog at home. You know, don't bring this puppy home. And I have been so close the last few weeks. And what I've realized is there's a mixture of emotions going on in me that I have never experienced before. Yeah. Yeah, they're full of, like, these are the best emotions I've ever felt in my life. But they're also new and scary. And so there is an element right now that even though logically, and I practiced it for years, I nearly went and brought a dog into my life at possibly the hardest time. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. lacked, lacked logic. Yeah. God, I can relate to that. I think with what you're saying too, with all with all of the emotional and the, the chemical things that are changing. How far along is your wife? Uh, just through her first trimester at this point. Yeah, I remember walking down a uh, down a Walmart here in the states. Do you have WalMarts there? No, but we know what it is. Oh, but well, good. Stand strong. Resist. <laughs> yeah, we've got equivalents. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so I remember walking down of just being in a walmart walmart is a it's a very interesting Pavlovian experience because I go in and I need two things and forty five minutes later, I don't have the two things I needed. I smell like Walmart, and I got five things i don't need <laughs> and somehow that's like they're they're putting it through the air filters. You know what I mean, but there was a moment where I looked down the end of a row and I saw a uh a baby carriage, a stroller. And I went, Oh, cool. And then I went, what? <laughs> what has happened to me?
2: <laughs>
1: like, happened." So, um, yeah, so there's something about it. There's something about it. Uh, it's, it is remarkable. I was filming something the other day and, I'm still, as you're talking, I'm thinking about one of the dogs I got to work with. And I said in the, in the interview, this is the dog that I will not adopt and bring home tonight. Just saying that for the record. But I'm still thinking about that guy. And we've got three seniors and dogs and two young kids. And yeah. And the other, you know, the other, you know, your pragmatism and and my rationality, the, the other thing is, I think there's something much greater here, which I'm just going to loosely call life. And. And life has a way of making, making itself known and fit and supported. My life's immeasurably better because of the dogs that came in. And I, it, I'd like to think that theirs are better as well. So even then, what I would, what I would say were really silly decisions brought me here to this moment. And I wouldn't trade any of it.
0: Yeah. Prime example there, you know, when it's when life goes out of balance that we just crave balance again. And, you know, whether that's whether that's, uh, you know, if it's out of balance, how you resolve that there's so many different ways. And like you said, over the last three years, people have been through the mill and they're trying to get balance back in their life. And when we take a dog into our life at any point, if we're using that to balance our own life out, there is a danger that dog may be and carrying that weight, there's always going to be an element of that. I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where dogs don't have that role in our lives. Yeah, I do think that our professional services have been on the, how much they're needed has been on the rise because that has been out of balance in the last few years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And, um, and it's, and it's a big ask of the human race to care for dogs in appropriate ways when we've not done a very good job of caring for each other in the last certainly three years if not the last 300 you know when we think about dogs we practice behavior behavior is is a is a feedback loop so to speak it's self-reinforcing in a number of ways and and uh, Kim Brophy had a really, really great point about how we are we're making in our efforts, conscious or otherwise, to feel safer, which is different, as Andrew Hale in the UK says, there's a difference between being safe and feeling safe. Yeah. And, and for any of us that have experienced trauma, we could actually be safe at the moment, but we don't feel safe. Um, and Kim says, you know, we the modern day dog, our life has gotten so small and isolated. And the primary goal has been safety in the last three years. And that's not a world that works for a dog. The modern dog is not able to, is not able to evolve that quickly. You know? Yeah. Do you ever hear that this guy, the Kiffness, K-I-F-F-N-E-S-S?
0: Yeah. But literally, I think for some reason that popped up in the last 24 hours.
1: Oh, I just posted it on Kim's okay. on the on the legs Facebook group. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, That's that'll be why. <laughs> listening? This is how this is how technology works in real time. Ian and I discovering something together that I just posted that he just saw. <laughs> so so l- listen for for those who are listening. Check out this guy, the Kiffness. He's he's just a really interesting guy. Anyways, musician and he takes clips of things from all over the world and turns them into songs like. There's a there's a man and I think it's I think it's in Mexico or South America who puts kernels of corn on bongos and then the chickens eat the kernels and it makes the songs. And then, you know, the kiffness turns it into a video. Um, so what the heck is my point about that? <laughs> <laughs> he had done something about uh, huskies, you know, a yeah. woman's in a video of her husky singing and then he turned it into huskies and he turned it into this beautiful song about you know, I, I'm I'm singing this song to remember when you were not a pet. Yeah, and uh, and so that's one example. And as your viewers wouldn't know, but as I'm talking to you, in my screen is uh, is um, the the backdrop for my screen or my two sentinels. I have a, a husky wolf hybrid, Pierre, who passed a few years ago, and then a Korean Jindo's on my other shoulder, so to speak. And so we're moving. We're all trying to figure out. We're not able to return to normal because normal has been. Barely destabilized, you know. And our dogs are just how do
2: they keep up? They just they can't. That's it, they can't. Yeah,
0: this is something I was actually saying to Kim. Um, Kim's getting a lot of shouts out. She's not paying us, I promise. And um, she, uh, she's not
1: paying you. Sorry, she's not paying you. No. <laughs> oh. You should see the checks that roll into me, <laughs>
0: I mean Kim to have a word <laughs> she, she's not paying me yet um, but, um, the uh we were talking about how the way that we live with dogs has evolved more in the last twenty years than it did in the previous two hundred yeah and it's not a surprise that we're seeing such a rise in you know. Uh deterioration in like the emotional and mental health of our dogs. Everybody knows how to look after a dog physically, but recognizing them as emotional beings is quite a new like, revelation, even to some professionals. But one of the main things, like it's not a surprise that we're seeing a deterioration because at the end of the day, the information that is reaching the professionals is only just catching up yeah. Let alone that then ciphering down into the public. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm constantly trying to explain to my team and anybody that will listen is the fundamental part of living with a dog is aiming for that emotional stability and like health. It's yeah. a really broad term. I know that, but health in Every aspect, health in your relationships, health in mental health, emotional health, physical health, they they all, all have to be in balance. And the unwanted behaviors that people call us about, they're not the problem. They're a symptom of yeah. the problem, which is normally yeah. some
1: deficit of health somewhere. Yeah, yeah, well said. And, uh, and and it has been my experience, and I I would venture to say yours and your team's, and certainly came in a number of people that we pay attention to that that if we address what we would call in our field a wellness issue, I'm gonna and I have to remember this so I can come back to Suzanne Clothier talking about Maslow's hierarchy, not because I'm a dog geek because of because it really resonated with me. If we can address the well-being, the emotional well-being, my anecdotal feedback is that 70% of behavior issues go away. Yeah. I mean it's really I see it with my kids. My wife has done a bang up job of of really supporting the kids in their emotional intelligence. my three and a half year old daughter she said to me today, um she asked me to help her get dressed and uh and today was daddy Daughter day we Mondays and Fridays Daddy Daughter Day, which I just uh, I love love spending time with her, and she asked me to get help her get dressed, and I was helping her put her shorts on and she said... Daddy, you have to ask me if you can touch my body before you put the clothes on. It's like That's amazing. I said, thank you so much for telling me that. I thought because you asked me to help you put it on that that meant that that was okay. And that's the kind of emotional vocabulary and self-awareness that, that my wife has really teed up for us. You know, that's a wellness issue. That's a consent issue. It's a trust issue. It's an issue of of self-respect, things like that. That's not where I came from. It's not where my generations came from. So I wouldn't arrive at that without me having a motivation. And the motivations are typically this sucks. I want to change it, or that seems amazing. And I want more of that, you know, or some combination of that. Yeah. So for, you know, for the dog people that are listening, it's, uh, you're probably doing great. You're probably doing a lot better than you think you are. And you probably deserve much better support than what's out there.
2: Yeah. That message that your, your daughter gave there is, is something that is, if you strip,
0: well, I'm trying to come up with the voice now, but if you strip the bullshit of life, like the hustle and bustle away, that's just a fundamental need. You know, it's a fundamental thing that we should all be respecting in the first place. And mm-hmm. our dogs are so simple in that respect. Com- they'll be so confused by the bullshit. Yeah. But they never move past that like we did. You know, we had to unlearn it and relearn it through our daughter. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, Where dogs were just kind of there the whole time. Watching, watching people kind of that, you know, I refer back to, you know, your California life, yeah. um, your LA life. And, any, and we're in, you know, we're I'm in Sydney, you know, the big, it's no way near LA, but it's the biggest city in this country. Yeah. There is a, a busyness to it where we can kind of get taken away from those simple things that really matter. And those do- the things that our dogs are actually, they never move past. They're, they're saying it
2: all the time.
1: All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Really important again for anybody who's listening to know that if you're, if, if you have questions or concerns or you have just stepped in a puddle of guilt, you're not alone.
2: Mm.
1: It's, it is an ongoing process. One of the great things that are, that's available to the people that I have found and follow is uh, the transparency of, of just it's hard living with a dog. It's hard living with a dog and trying to do it well. And it's just hard. And I'm always relieved when I hear somebody who I who I hold in high esteem talk about their dog and how difficult it is. Not that I want it to be difficult for them, but <laughs> no, I know. <well>, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh,
0: I had a client uh, before I sat down with you today. I had a client this morning. Um, first time I'd ever met them. Uh, young family, young couple. Um and they've got a two and a half year old German short hair pointer. They've seen a number of uh, professionals, and you know I sat down with them. these are all professionals that I really respect. Uh, mm-hmm. They have had some really good help. and I, went, I sat there. it was a, a two-hour initial consultation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And about an hour in, listening to them, I said like today for me is going to be an assessment because I am scratching my head. Uh, An hour and a half in, I gave them a rough baseline plan. But at that point as well, I had one of my team sitting in with me. I said, look, I'm not going to lie. Like uh, This dog is doing nothing that I anticipated. And so I am going to have to go away and come back because I do not not want to give you any information that is, you know, if I'm not sure. I'm not going to say it. And uh, you can see the relief. And she said that the client that said, I feel so relieved that you said that because, you know, we've been dealing with this for two and a half years. Um, and yep. we're not professionals and we're doing the best we can, but to know that another professional is walking in here and gone, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you feel the relief yeah Yeah. uh,
1: that's That's great to hear i feel relief even just in hearing it yeah my german have my german shepherd literally just exhaled these are family quality of life issues Uh, you know something that i i think i first heard from kim these are family quality of life issues and that helped me frame things in an important way because when i get to to talk to anybody my family doesn't ask me for dog help by the way that's i mean that's a whole other that's a therapy conversation (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which your listeners are not paying for but what but um the the family quality of life issue when i saw it that way well that's certainly the pivot that i made in my life with my wife and my kids and i in the last couple of years and our dogs and then when i offer that to people i can see them exhale. I can that they'll they will cry, they'll smile, they'll pause, but there's something coming back to emotional well-being. There's something about them feeling like they were heard in the same way that I have felt heard and continue to be felt heard by people. That's of not only is that of tremendous value, but that's a fundamental need.
0: Yeah. And 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 it's I will always one of my pet peeves is the saying, uh you know, treated like a dog, because as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to treat a dog with, like, the utmost respect.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> I uh, I will treat treat the dog the same way as I would the person and the person the same way the dog, in the sense I'm going to try and afford them uh, the opportunity to communicate what their needs are and try my hardest to hear it. Yeah, you know? I think one of the questions I've been asked a lot is, you know, um, as in, like, I don't get bit. I, I never, ever get yeah. bit. I never, and there's a really basic reason and it doesn't mean it's easy, but I, I'll listen to the dog and it's a knowing when to proceed and when to back off. And Yeah. Because that, that is, for me, that's, that's how I would respect the individual and those flare-ups in behavior are normally the dog shouting about what their needs are. But they wouldn't be shouting if they could be heard at a quieter level.
1: Yeah, this is so. But this is this is uh, <clears throat> a key point uh, where, uh, thankfully, certainly for the dogs and for myself and the people I work with, I've, I have moved from trying to punish the growl to trying to reward the growl. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, uh, and because we obviously, I'm stating the obvious to you. If we take the growl away, then the dog's going to start growl, stop growling, and then we get. Fighting that quote comes out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'll offer, I will offer a counter to your experience. Uh, I, I lost track of how many times I got bit. I had to start to put it on a calendar and keep track of how many days I could go without getting bit. And there were a few turning points. And one was listening to, I went to um, an, an Association of Professional Dog Trainers conference, gosh, way back in 2013 in the States. And there was a man named Ken McCourt. He said, I've been training and he works with wolves and all kinds of animals. He said, I've been training for 29 years and I've only been bit once. And my wife, I think he said his wife is a veterinarian and she's, and she has never been bitten until recently. And that's because the dog was in more pain than she realized. Yeah. And I heard Ken McCourt say this and I thought, Whoa, well, this guy seems legit and uh very interested in what he has to say. And I think I might have to change my approach. And I think I might actually have some ego involved here. Getting bit is a nice and it's a mark of my courage and all kinds of upside down thinking. So it took me some time to learn how to not get bit. And the second seminal moment was that I did get bit and almost died from it. And in this case, it was breaking up a dog fight, but it was a dog fight that didn't have to happen if I hadn't added pressure to the situation,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, in the guise of I'm trying to separate this. So, yeah, so it's been quite some time and, and, and it is, uh, it's very expensive. I appreciate when it, when it was put to me this way, it's very expensive for a dog to bite Yeah, emotionally. It's not an economic thing to do physiologically. I hope that that's useful to anybody that's listening. Yeah, let's
0: let's dive into that a second. So when Absolutely. you say expensive, yeah, like, maybe um, expand on that a bit for us.
1: Well, think about the bite. I think there's a there's a um, there's an arc to look at here. So typically, when people are calling for a bite because of a bite issue, they might have some idea of what. What preceded it. But generally, by the time that dog is biting, there are so many things, so many needs that didn't get met in that family quality of life, that the dog has resorted to that. And from a from um speaking to nature itself, it's it there is a great cost at moving to that level of behavior. There's a risk for personal. If I'm if I'm a dog and I'm now biting, there's a risk for my personal safety. Mm-hmm. There's a risk for loss of resources. There's a risk for, um, uh, a risk for me not being able to, to remain safe in the environment that I'm in anymore. And it, so it's costly in a number of ways, not the least of which is physical and emotional. So by the time a dog gets to biting, in almost every case, that's probably one of the last things that they want to do. And it's probably, it's probably the most costly thing. That they could do. The arc of it is important. If we think about it, or maybe we were to make a triangle out of it for the viewers, I'm doing a triangle with my hand, and the apex of the event is the actual act of aggression. But before that dog got to that point, there was a ton of stuff that led up to that. And then the other side of it that's important is what people, what I have experienced and said, and what people have over the years reflected back to me in their experience. My dog looks like they were sorry Uh and what i'm in my lack of understanding what i it's not for me to say the dog wasn't sorry or remorseful i'm not going to get into that because i i'm not saying that that's not possible but i was reading the dog looks like it knows it did something wrong as an indication that it won't do it again yep right but not when I ever got sent to my room and punishment was heavy in my, in my life. Not when I ever got sent to my room did I think, I'm going to change for the better. I thought, how am I going to avoid this situation again? Huh? So the lesson wasn't being learned the way we want. So the, the arc of it is, I'm feeling, I the dog, I'm feeling stressed. I'm going to fast forward to, I'm actually in, in an aggressive act. And now I'm coming out of it, and yes, there's a chemical dump that's happening, and there's all kind, of, there's an emotional experience, and I may or may not feel remorseful, but I'm gonna do it again if I don't get different kind of support.
2: Yeah,
0: I think aggression is so, so misunderstood, because like you said, I mean that that point of not feeling, um, you get punished for being aggressive. You might you will learn.
2: Okay, how do I avoid the punisher? But the lesson is rarely, if never, how do I,
0: um, you know, how, how do I be better in that situation? Yeah. Because the situation, in those moments, you, having experienced with aggression in the past, like in those moments, you f- can feel like you're, the you're being imposed on you You can feel like you're the victim and you're not doing anything other than responding in a way that you've, it might not be choice. It's not like a, a, a deliberate thing, but there's a reaction Mm -hmm. that your body does in so in the aid of, in the goal of Mm -hmm. self-preservation. And if that situation happens again and you walked away alive, there may well have been negative consequences, but they were, they, (sighs) Are they, like, is the punishment really going to stop them from resorting to that cyber survival mechanism again in the future? Mm-hmm. So I love, I love working with aggression um, for similar reasons in the sense that trying to understand where that emotional driver is for the behavior in the first place. Because if we can find out why that dog was in that, what put that dog in that emotional state in the first place to feel the need to be aggressive. Right. Then we can come at it from a welfare point of view and go, I'm going to be proactive in building this dog's, whatever it may be, confidence, confidence in in alternative behaviors. Um, I'm going to desensitize. I'm going to basically do whatever I can to build this dog's emotional health and ideally, not put the dog in that position again. The idea of train, as a dog trainer, I think it used to be very much, well, let's put that dog in the position and train it to do something else. But that dog is still going through that position where yeah. in such a heightened state, it felt like it had to resort to the behavior. And then yep. we've got a issue. Like that dog, yeah. is, the quality of life is
1: deteriorating fast. Yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly a mistake I made along the way. And I, and it's and it was framed, you know, with the the way I saw things at the time. And I think that's important too. If I if I if I I think it is too trite a saying, when you know better, you do better. Because I've known better about a lot of things and I didn't do better. Mm-hmm. And some of that is it takes time to unlearn behavior. You know, what's the motivation for me to practice the new behavior? there's a number of factors, and uh, I may be more derelict than others, but I'm, I'm certainly not alone in it. And so, so for, the, for, the, for the dog guardian that has a dog that has arrived at that point, it is my want for you, I'm talking to you, the dog guardian right now, my want for you is that you are able to find support that is not judging what you may or may not have done that led to that dog's behavior, because here's the reality, it's really effing scary. It's traumatic, it's destabilizing, we normalize it. You know, if we thought about this in the human context, and and I don't say this lightly because I know how I grew up and many people that I know grew up, if we put it in the human context and you were, quote, randomly being physically hurt out of the blue, I really appreciate the way Andrew Hale said it. You may not actually love that person any less, but you will love yourself less. And then how do you operate? How do you make better choices from that place?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's so, there is a lot of,
0: there's enough, there's too much guilt in the dog guardian shit. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: yeah. And a- that, that guilt can be, It can be debilitating because it can prevent people from asking for help for fear of being judged further. And there's a good chance that they're already on some level judging themselves. Yeah. But nobody, I'm trying to remind people, like nobody gets a dog for it to be shit. You know, like (laughs) we all get dogs to make our lives and their lives better. And anybody that asks for help, that moment because again like everybody gets a dog as well thinking i've got this and so if you ask for help that takes humility and courage courage and it shouldn't it shouldn't be judged no matter what they've put themselves in a position where they're now open to change yeah anything that they've done previously should be put to one side doesn't mean that um We and we as professionals have to be careful and mindful of how we word it because at some point, we sh- there has to be a level of education as to, well, Absolutely. we shouldn't do that because, but that yeah. should come without judgment, just because you may may or may not have done that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, oh man, like I remember when I wanted to be a dog trainer and thinking, I'm just going to work with dogs. And then I realized, oh shit, there's a human on the other end of that lead. And then, yeah, <laughs> that's the most challenging part.
1: We made a, I'm pivoting in my business model for a number of reasons. And one of the things that I'm inspired by and some of my colleagues, uh, do you know, do you follow dog liaison, Jenna Romano at dog liaison? Yep. Yeah. She just, she's just doing amazing stuff for anybody that's listening dog underscore liaison. You can find it on Instagram and you can look up the spelling of liaison. If like me, you forgot there are two eyes. (laughs) Yeah. And so I look at I look at people who are doing work at what I would consider to be a high levels of understanding and, and integrity, and and I watch how the models are changing. And I thought, you know, I want to be available for a transformative support. That's not necessarily what everybody wants. Some people want, can you just help me with my dog on the leash? But I'm really invested in in the deepening of the human dog relationship. And I get a lot of one-off clients. And I think part of that is I'm a, I'm a guy who has a TV show and you can, you know, I can work virtually with people around the world. And so maybe there's something for people that, well, I know, because they'll tell me, oh, you know, it's so cool to be able to work with you, which I appreciate. And, and there's an honor in that, but I want to work with you. I don't just want to be, I, I, I did a thing with the guy on TV. It's not really of much value. In terms of what I hope to offer, my point in saying all of this is that I recently created a very personal intake form for people. And and I was clear, you don't have to answer some of these questions, but I want to know how you handle stress. I want to know what your sleep patterns are. I want to know on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, how do you rate the household's the likelihood that the the entire household is going to commit to helping this dog or these dogs, you know, you have a history of PTSD or mental illness or addiction, all stuff that I can relate to. And that's really shaped my perspective in a different way to be able to help people. That's really my primary, one of my primary motives here. And having said that, I have a client that said scale of one to 10, 10. We did the virtual session and I thought the, the the initial virtual session and I thought, I don't really see a 10 here, you know. And then I got word that they had gone to um, a very troublesome board and train
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, chain in the States. And, uh, and I thought that's so like, where is how do I I need my skill set to understand why this client's idea of my commitment level is 10 is represented by how we're working together because it doesn't feel like a 10. What, con- what conclusion did you arrive to? I don't have one yet. I don't have one yet. Cause there's, there's what I'm offering and what the board and train is offering are in strict um, conflict in terms of humane understanding and education and Restore results versus restoration.
0: So, um, I mean, and, I, and of course, I'm just speculating here, but typically, I'm open. there's there probably is a ten to, in the sense that they are committed to at a ten level to resolving yeah. resolving what they think is the problem.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Probably you just,
1: it's just
0: misaligned on what the problem
1: is. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's thank you for saying that. I'm glad that you could actually say that out loud because for anybody listening, this is this is why we talk to each other. Because my job is to help them help their dog. My reflex is I'm confused. And then my emotional response to confusion is often discomfort. And then the way I quell the discomfort is by judging the person that I think is confusing me. So there, we just unpacked that. So that's right. Totally agree. I think they are their level of commitment is 10. And then the way I reframe that is, you know what? You know what? I have some other things to offer you than what you've been learning. I don't train or bash. Not my thing. Um, I don't find that useful or professional. And I appreciate your level of commitment, which is to say you've been exercising emotional and physical muscles, muscles of routine. You've been you've been practicing behaviors that we can absolutely build on. That's a much better place to work from.
2: Yeah.
0: You see that 10 on your form? I ask a similar question. You see that 10 on your form? And yeah, like that, you know, that like you don't, I never get any numbers lower. I don't have number seven. I deliberately left number seven off. Interesting. Because I feel like people, a lot of people would. Okay, <laughs> so I got six, eight, nine, ten, and I—I I think that's
2: in, hilarious,
0: yeah, and I and I—I uh, never get I never get lower than eight. Like that means
2: the people that are calling really obviously they yeah. give a, they give a shit.
1: Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> I would look at it and think he's got a typo. I'm not sure how sharp this guy is.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, right. <laughs> so if anybody's listening and thought that before,
2: <laughs> you're right. I'm not that smart, but that one was <laughs> no. yeah, no. the negative. Uh, go, go ahead. No, no, I was, please, I was go
0: ahead. just going to reiterate the point. You know, like, people call us uh, when they're struggling and they want help. And yeah. it's, on, yeah. it's our duty to our duty of care to be available yeah. for that client. It doesn't mean that it's always going to work between myself and the client. That's so that's okay. But I'll try my hardest.
1: Uh, Four of the best things I learned along the way. I think really in the last fifteen years, if I could, if I could put a time frame around it. Four of the best
2: sentences I have learned. I don't know. I need help. How can I help? Five,
1: thank you, and I love you. Mm. Five, the best things I can say, and one of the one of the remarkable gifts that that my mentors gave me, even you know, well before I got into the profession, but they buoyed buoyed me with in the profession is the is the not just the willingness and ability, but the comfort in saying, I don't know, I need help. Mm. God, that's opened things up for me, and for and and subsequently for the people I've been able to work with. Yeah. Because
0: it's a funny thing, isn't it? Like as a dog trainer, you get the phone call to come in to be the expert. And I know in my early days, professionally, going into these positions, thinking how I had to had to know.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: and yet, and I think I said this to you off air before, but like having a team, having my team has been one of my biggest assets. Uh, because I don't expect my team to know uh, in the sense that, you know, they're always allowed to ask, you know, I, they're always allowed to, uh, there's never a dumb question. You, you you can always come and knock on the door um, and ask the question. And so I should give myself the same kindness.
1: <laughs> That's the stage that I'm at in life right now. That 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 has to be addressed if there is going to be any sustainability in what I have to offer for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm thinking about the next twenty years of my work. I'm thinking about legacy work, and and it has been made abundantly clear that if I don't invest in the relationship with myself, then whatever I have to offer doesn't really have. It's not going to have much to stand on. No, and.
0: You know, I you know, I love the projects that you're working on and I share the similar things in the sense that, you know, we want to leave behind something that re- genuinely supports dogs, the people who look after them, and the professionals that look after those people. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's been my goal for the last, oh, I don't know, I'm not going to put a number on that, but from the beginning. Um, but, um, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to create a podcast. Uh, it's every venture that I've got is always with one of those three in mind. Um, you know, am I, which one am I supporting here? Am I supporting the guardian? Am I supporting the dog themselves? Or am I supporting uh, the professionals? But at the end of the day, it comes back down to that word support. It's so it's so vital that I think every single one of them and all of us feel that feel support. It's important that our dogs feel support because, as we said earlier ourselves, you know, we bring them into our lives for our support, and when we get that relationship right, it's uh, mutual. There's a balance there that is very natural, very organic, and you can just see it. it it's, uh, it's it's almost intangible, but it's pretty special. And that's why I think that's why we all do it.
1: Yeah yeah I would agree on some level that's, that's why we enter into it almost everybody, on some level. Suzanne Clothier, I was watching a clip from one of her talks recently, and she said, "I'm going to keep coming back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs." Yeah, um, And so I had to go look it up in part because I, I thought I knew it, I didn't know, I didn't know it like I thought I knew it and so it's a triangle you you know listeners can find it maslow m a s l o w and the base of the triangle is physiological needs and then if those are met if those needs are met then it moves to safety and security and she made the point she said i'm going to keep coming back to maslow's hierarchy of needs because if we don't meet physiological needs then the behavior is operating from a place where it's trying to get physiological needs met and uh, it's so uh, simple but not easy but
0: it's so simple in that respect yeah. Assume, we go back to you know what causes there's so many lenses to look at like what's causing behavior but on that level it's yeah. uh it, i feel like that's the most relatable level to any to, to anybody on it as a living thing you mm-hmm. know we've got your aba lens you've got your medical lens and everything else but looking at it through a um, fundamental needs lens um, is something I think we can all relate to because, you know, they're, they're on a top level, you know, if, if you're starving, nothing else really matters. Everything else comes second to getting some food. If you're in pain, nothing else really matters other than not feeling in pain anymore.
2: Yeah.
0: And once they are met, you've then got that sense of security uh, yeah. sense, sense of safety and you know, I love that, I, I, like yourself, like Andy uh, the way he breaks it down between physically being safe and yeah. having a sense of security two different things, two very important distinctions, or one important yeah. but um, again, once it's in deficit I mean, that can even trump physical needs, you know, you could be starving for sure but that's That's where a lot of the dogs we work with, I can't speak for you, but we here, we're working with, we're working with the dogs that have got most of their physical needs met. Sometimes, sometimes we might see a pain issue that has, or an irritation issue, or even a gut issue um, that needs to be resolved. And sometimes, a lot of the time, if that is in in play, resolving that actually resolves so many of the cases. But when we're coming down to um, if they are, if all of that's in place, then normally we're looking at those first two tiers of that Maslow's hierarchy. It's something I've, yeah. Um, And Andrew Hale talks about that hierarchy of needs as well, uh, really well. Um, And resolving those two
1: normally resolves so many issues. Yeah. I'm going to put in a plug for something that is. That is in the works. I've connected with a colleague in Finland and a colleague in Sweden. And what began as an invitation for me to go speak in Sweden has morphed into uh, what is going to be a five day conference known as the Dog People Evolution Conference in Sweden in June of 2024. Perfect. And uh, I think this is, that's probably the most overt announcement I've made. We're just starting to tease this out, but Andrew Hale is a confirmed speaker, Ryan Cartledge, Michael Shikascio, Kim Brophy, Ava Bertelson. There are a number of people on board for this thing. And what's what we are particularly drawn to that we see as a unique opportunity is that we're gonna get people who have a lot to say and know a lot, and we're not gonna talk about dog training. We're actually gonna talk about how humans change. Nice. And uh, we hope it'll be groundbreaking and revolutionary and inspiring so that we can support more people in supporting their dogs. Mm. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it certainly is becoming huge. I've never something like this, <laughs> but yeah, we're talking about three days of virtual and two days live, and I don't know, twenty to twenty-five speakers, and and just the beginning, j- just to have a place where we can start to talk about change in a in a more formal and
2: an inspiring way. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome this stuff on the look. That is
0: a fantastic note to, to wrap this up. And I mean, that's a pretty exciting announcement. So thank you very much for yeah. sharing. That
1: with me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for letting me drop that, that, uh, that big reveal. That's
0: perfect. And that,
1: I mean, and genuinely I've
0: enjoyed this so much. Just, uh, connecting with you today and listening
1: to you so thank you yeah same yeah thank you Ian appreciate the work you're doing there and, and my best to your wife and would you like us to name your baby can we do that can we take a poll i will have to um, i think my wife might have a say on that <laughs> <laughs> how about this how about this we'll just keep this between you and me and anybody who's listening yeah and and so this is to all of the listeners. You can send Ian, Ian send him a private message yeah. with some name suggestions and and then Ian will put a list together. Ian doesn't know that I volunteered him to do this. He'll put a list together and then you can text to vote the top five and then Ian can go live when he proposes these top five names to his wife. How that sound? <laughs> probably- yeah, I mean,
0: that's great. I mean, we're going to... I'm. I'm also not going to tell her that this is what's happening, so yes. that we a, so that we can get a real life
1: reaction, yes. and <laughs> you can everybody can see amazing, <laughs> amazing idea. So thank you everybody in advance for your participation. All names are welcome. Um, don't send anything to me. Just send everything to Ian. i
0: really i well i was gonna say i really appreciate that i'm not sure i do but let's find out this will be fun (laughs) brilliant that's perfect
1: thanks so much no pleasure pleasure look forward to talking with you again thanks Ian thanks so much for listening that's it for this week guys if you ever want to ask questions
0: give feedback or just provide some suggestions regarding the podcast, find me on Ian Shivers, Dog Advocate on Instagram. I'll be happy to help. If you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want to nerd out more with us, then find our sponsors because they're the ones that make all of this possible. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Canine Caregivers. I've had so many people reach out to me over the years, not knowing where to turn to online for reliable and consistent advice on how to raise a healthy and happy dog. The information out there is hard to navigate. It's hard to know who to trust and who not to trust. And frankly, some of it is just downright dangerous. That's why we created Canine Caregivers. A place where you can come and get educational resources and access a supportive community founded on the care approach for people just like you, whether you've just brought a dog into your life or you've got a dog that is experiencing some unwanted behaviors. The content is updated regularly and we constantly keep in touch with our members to make sure that we are bringing relevant and up-to-date content that truly matters to you there's different tiers of membership for different needs. So you can be sure that you don't have to break the bank to access the information that can literally make all the difference to the quality of life between you and your dog. Head to caninecaregivers.com.au to learn more.